0: Welcome to the very first It Up and Sit Down Isolation Cast, a brand new form of the podcast. It's exactly the same, but none of us in the same room. And uh, that's that's it. So what are we going to be talking about today on the Isolation Cast, Quince?
1: We are going to be talking about a whole load of board games on this board gaming podcast, and that's going to continue until we can't. Uh, play any more. We've got a limited selection now, right? Because it's all the games we've played before the fall, mm, yes. as, I've, <laughs> as I've been thinking of it. But on this podcast we're going to tell you about Flotilla, a game of managing boats and deciding when to become a plane. We're going to be talking about uh, Alubari, a nice cup of tea, a game about not having enough nice cups of tea and that being a real problem for your economy. We're going to be talking about Tokyo Game Show, a fabulously demented party game. We're going to be talking about the Castles of Burgundy, the OG Castles of Burgundy that came out uh, nine years ago, which I played. Let me tell you, boys, still real good. Mm. We're going to be talking about Cairn, or as you two have been calling it, uh, Druid Chess. Is that right? Druid Rugby Chess, I think, is what I've landed on. Druid Druid Rugby Chess And finally We're going to be talking about Some of the videos We've put out recently On the Shut Up and Sit Down YouTube channel Which have been our reviews Of Wavelength And Unmatched mm. But First things first I'm going to ask you two boys How are you are holding up in isolation
2: You know what I'm doing okay, Quins. I'm surviving and I'm maybe even thriving because let me tell you, I was born indoors and I'm going to stay indoors.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm much the same. I should point out, uh, my name's Quentin Smith. I'm, that was uh, the fabulous voice of Tom Brewster, Hello. you just heard. And we are joined, of course, by Matt Lees.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right as well. We were, all, we're all thriving over here. We had a bit of a mad panic, when, uh, uh, not in the traditional sense, but uh, I, I, we were a little bit ahead of the curve on this stuff. And I think I said to Tom about two weeks ago, maybe said, look, Tom, I think um, you, we're not going to keep meeting in the office. We're going to have to work and from home. And I was home. like,
2: ha, okay, Matt, sure. And yeah. lo and behold. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think you. I think at that point you quite reasonably thought I was being a bit mad, maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it turns out that everyone's really working from home now. So we got a bit ahead of the curve and it meant I've, I've been able to sort Tom out with some technological devices, such as a microphone. Oh my goodness. Um, it's so here. we can do things remotely but uh yeah i have a lot of time just just repurposing my flat like i'm uh, like i'm uh, uh, some sort of uh, when the what's it called when the military just come and take things um uh, war like requisitioning requisitioning i'm just requisitioning areas of my flat and being like this is no longer a leisure zone it is a business zone this <laughs> Man, is no longer I... a
1: cupboard it is a streaming den <laughs> Oh, well, I definitely did a very embarrassing thing that I, I'm still not entirely sure what I did. But I was um, I was running around, uh, not running around, not, not being irresponsible, but I visited a couple of my favourite shops um, last week because I sort of wanted to kind of keep make Because local shops are having a tough time, mm. right? And also I wanted to buy some supplies if I was going to have to be indoors. Um, of course, in England, that's, that's the case. If you've not heard the news here in England, we're being ordered to shelter in place, which is great. Um, but one of the things I bought was like from my, this little local chili shop, a grow your own chilies kind of starter mm. kit. Um, so I've got a bunch of chilies now growing in my kitchen. And it's, but I, you know, it does raise the question, like, did I think, was this some primal hunter gatherer urge to keep myself fed over, <laughs> you know, the coming weeks? And if so, these eight like fingernail sized chilies are like, I'm not pleased with my survival. Rating, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's some
0: Jack and the Beanstalk vibes going on there. Yeah. But you know, it's it, I think it's good to have hobbies at this point, you know. It's it's good to have. It hobbies. is. Uh, I ordered myself it, a kettlebell just before they became more expensive than gold on on Amazon because everyone. <laughs> it's it's a funny thing of just trying to be slightly ahead of the curve on everything, Of thinking. What am I going to need in 3 weeks?
1: Um what do you think you're going to miss Tom uh in 3 weeks? Oh. I
2: mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like uh, there's nothing I'm really going to miss because, I mean, <laughs> when I say I was born indoors and I'm going to stay indoors, like, that's it's worryingly true how indoorsy I am. So I'm going to miss the, the occasional time that I would normally go outside to the corner shop. And that's it. That's all I'm going to miss.
0: Well, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. embarrassing because, Tom, I'm going to miss you because I used to see Tom most days. And now it's like yeah. all f- telephone calls. Oh, They'll horrible. never catch on.
1: They'll never catch on. <laughs> I'm going to say something that's going to like maybe please our American listeners because it's kind of a British stereotype, but I am definitely going to miss going into a pub and having them pull me a really good mm, pint. And then, yeah. you know, that that feeling of a tall pint glass in your hand and uh, it being cold yeah. and then you take that first sip. And perhaps like,
0: topically, I'm going to miss board games and playing yeah. board
1: games with people.
0: I've got some fantastic things on my shelf that, you know what, actually, um, I'll give them a shout out here because we gave them a shout out in the news and it's it's a good thing. But Lone Shark Games are doing a thing at the moment where they're basically selling a lot of their solo games or games to play with small amounts of people for like just above cost prices. So they're basically like doing them as cheaply as they can for people to be like, hey, if you're stuck inside... We've got some great stuff that's perfect for this. Let us ship you out stuff. And the only real kind of trade-off of this is that as part of this page where they're saying, hey, look, you can buy loads of our stuff, super cheap. They're also uh, saying, hey, why don't you support the Kickstarter for the new Laws of Vegas thing? And, And that's great. I got a copy of Up sense to me. So with a strict instruction to never play Lords of Vegas again without using Up. That was what Mike Selinker the game's <laughs> creator is like never play the base game of this without the expansion. Never do that ever again which is quite a funny thing for a designer to say but I really wanted to play that. I was like Tom we're going to play Lords of Vegas with Up and we can't now and no no longer
1: so I that's sad I have I just went and checked and sure enough within the Lone Shark Games sale um, they are selling a hardback large book called The Maze of yeah, Games which is right? also by Mike Selinker I got given a copy of that um, by Mike and Mike's designed some great board games but he told me this is the best thing I have ever done when he pressed it into my hands at um, uh, Pax Unplugged last year and I played some of it over Christmas it's really great it's basically like a combination storybook of these two people trying to go through this crazy otherworldly maze, but every page is a puzzle, and you have to flip back between puzzles. So, if you're a fan of things like mazes and word searches and riddles, and and you know, kind of the kind of puzzles that you would get in a big book of puzzles, but just done really well, um, the Maze of Games will keep you busy for days. Mm. Mm. Um, really lovely thing. That sounds really cool. I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, it's cool. Well, I mean, oh no, hang on, I can't even. Off to give you my copy because it's now full of the sort of insane <laughs> pencil scratchings of like, you know, the movie seven when they go to the killer's sure. flat. Yeah, it's it's full like
2: of that. solutions. That's what it's full <laughs> of.
1: Yeah, solutions, but whereas in the movie, those solutions are like blood. My okay. solutions are wrong. <laughs> um so should we talk about some games? yeah So the first game we're gonna be talking
0: about today is a game called Flotilla. This is a Wids Kids production that comes in a outrageously heavy box full of bits of cardboard and wood and underwater treats the premise of this game is absolutely fascinating you are denizens of a basically rubbish trash city in the middle of the ocean that's all clumped together from bits and bobs living and thriving on the open seas in a world of junk and radiation and the way it works is that you have this central board which represents these different factions there's four of them and by doing different tasks around the world you're going to be getting resources making money building up your reputation with these factions which in turn will be able to get you different things the key kind of premise of the game really though is that you're building out into the ocean by discovering new places by drawing these little hexagon tiles and adding them to your little tableau of of C spaces. Now, the first disappointment about this for me. Oh, God, that, the <laughs> first. We're all. Re- <laughs> the first disappointment about this is that even though your tableau is kind of connecting to the edge of the central board, there's no connection between them. You are just building an individual space. So you can't go and muscle into someone else's C. So it looks as if you're building this big kind of collective C space. But you're not. You're building your own little board. It's just connected in the middle. And that's a very small disappointment. Don't get me wrong. Um, But it has an interesting idea in the fact that the first half of the game, you're going to be going out there, you're going to be building these barges, and you're going to be going and drilling and diving for stuff in the sea. And when you do that, you're going to be accruing radiation, and you're going to be drilling up oil and good stuff. And then you're going to be carrying it back to your bases, where you're going to be able to then sell that stuff on the market. And it has... A market of variable prices. You buy some stuff, it becomes more expensive, you sell it, it becomes cheaper, all of that jazz. So it's got some interesting interconnected things, but the big twist thing is that at any point you can stop this process of going out uh, on your
1: boats and collecting... You can, you can stop playing the board game. You can just get up and leave. It's revolutionary. <laughs> I, if I'd known this nine years ago, shut up and sit down <laughs> would be very different and not exist.
0: I know, it's great. Like, you know, in this, uh, our first of a few remote casts, it's the beauty of online conferencing. At any point, you can just leave. (laughs) Just press a button. Tom has already left. (laughs) (laughs) So it has some really beautiful artwork, some really cool, bright, colourful theming. And this sort of seemingly semi-central idea in it is that there comes a point where you go, you know what? I'm done being an ocean person. I'm done going out there in my boat and dredging up things. Now I'm going to live on the big trash island in the middle. And at that point, your game changes. And effectively, the card system in the game, which you use to do your actions on your turns, is almost identical to um, Concordia's.
1: Oh, really? Okay, so you have a little deck, uh, you play cards that are actions, but then it's also an action to pick up all those cards again?
0: Yes, and it's the same thing of when you pick them all up again, you get a coin for each of the cards you pick up, etc. You have a shared shop of things that you can buy new cards from, and there's points at the end of the game for having big sets of things, etc. The thing is, these cards are all double-sided, which means that any kind of character you hire will have a function for the sea zone and a function for the land
2: zone sink Um, side and top side Hello internet listener, uh, this is Tom from the future, well not from the future, it's going to be the past when you listen to it, but it's the future for me, uh, adding a little note in here to say that we got it a little bit wrong, uh, it's not sync side and top side, it's sink side and sky side, top side refers to the discard part of the game, we got it a little bit wrong, just wanted to put that in here because it feels like uh, the right thing do have a lovely podcast i know i did bye i think that's that's the the point
0: (laughs) i was actually going to ask you tom this is the point where you can come in and talk about some of the specific words and the theming going on here
2: there's a lot of like very specific lingo that you have to look in like a sort of comb through the rule book to find out what exactly some of these weird specific terms mean but yeah it's very strange
1: Oh, I kind of love that. I mean, designers have to be so careful with it, but sometimes forcing players to say words like, I'm going to go topside, you know, it really <laughs> brings a theme to life. But of course, sometimes it's very
2: annoying. Well, it I would think bring bit- the theme to life if going topside was actually like enjoyable, which for everyone around the table kind of felt like it wasn't something they wanted to do. And when they did it, it wasn't great. Like, yeah, it's fun doing all the sink side stuff where you're going out into the ocean and you're going diving and you're you know bringing resources out of the ocean and slowly expanding your territory. And then when you go topside, it feels like you're playing, well, you literally are kind of playing a different game, but one that's not as satisfying. Um, huh. Mainly because sort of moving your little boats around the board and picking up cargo and stuff isn't sort of something that you get to experience the tactility of anymore. Instead, you're sort of just pushing the barrels up and down the stock market. Because when you get, not stock market, sorry, the, just the resource market. Because when, <laughs> <laughs> when, um, when you go topside, you've got much more power in pushing that to um, barrels up and down when you buy and sell them. And you actually get points for pushing them off either end of the track. So if you sell a barrel when, oh God, this is where my brain starts melting because I don't understand how <laughs> supply and demand works um not like this in the real world
0: (laughs) (laughs) like if you completely destroy a market by yes
2: over over demand or under demand you don't usually get rewarded (laughs) but you do in this game if you ever yeah if you ever make something so in in demand or so bountiful in, in, in supply over what the game will let you do if there's you know there's barriers at either end if you push against those barriers you get points for it which is kind of fun Oh, okay. So, so if I've got this straight, so uh, Flotilla
1: first has you playing a sort of resource management game, buying and selling things, expanding these hexagons. But at any point, you can say, I'm playing a completely different game now. You can leave that game behind. You can become a. Pla- you can live in the city rather than being a you boat person. You can live
2: in the trash zone. You can build in the trash <laughs> zone.
1: I have been in the trash zone for many years. It's, uh, no, so, but, but, so what is the game then when you, when you, um, move on into the second stage and also do players have to at some point switch games
2: no they don't have to you don't ever have to switch um but it's probably advised because the way that you win is by getting points you get points by doing basically like similar to concordia kind of everything is going to get you points in some way or another um and one of the main things are these objectives And there's only three of each objective for each side so there's three objectives for the sink side players to complete. And then when you go top side, there's three new objectives. Oh, that's cool. And the main thing that you do when you're top side is you're building the, all the tiles that you had, like the explored ocean tiles. You flip those as well, and now they're city tiles, and you add them to the big trash pile in the middle, and you're trying to like make big zones and score points. Um, the problem with that that I found, because the thing is, Flotilla is a game that I think sounds really cool, and then ends I'm- up...
1: I can confirm I've been sat here this whole time being like, this sounds awesome.
2: And maybe it'll it'll be your bag, but we didn't think it was our bag because that second game felt a little bit random because you kind of flip over all those tiles that you had in the ocean. You go, huh, I've got three red cities and one blue city. I guess that's kind of useful. And it's like, it's hard to keep those two strategies in your head, like what you're doing on the sink side and what you're doing on the top side. Distinct, if that makes sense. Probably not. I think it's...
0: It's it does make sense. And I think that I think that there's so many interlocking systems that sound really cool here, but it, it doesn't really hang together too well. And I think it is because of this shift. You know, it's it's the fact that you go from really the key thing to understanding the shift, I think, is the fact that in the first half of the game, one of the mechanics, which is quite exciting, is whenever you are drilling for stuff, you roll a handful of chunky dice and you get the resources on the thing. But if you get like too many of these bad symbols on the dice, then you actually then can't drill in some of the locations you're drilling in ever again. So it means that you're having to then explore and expand and find new areas so you can then get resources. And it's actually a really exciting mechanic because it's this idea of like, you can just have tremendous luck or tremendous bad luck. And it means it's okay-ish because if you completely just ruin it, you can always just switch to the other game. So you can go, you know what? Like, this has gone terribly for me. I'm just going to stop trying to do all this and I'm going to be the first person who starts getting into the other side of it. Which, okay, seems cool. But the problem with that is you get all of this risk, reward and excitement of uh, pulling tiles out of a bag and where am I going to go next? And oh, am I going to get like eight or nine barrels of oil or am I going to get none and everything collapses, (laughs) which is exciting. But then, when you go to the second phase, you replace uh, this sort of risk reward with research, which is basically another set of individual dice, um, which you roll and then get things. But unlike the the diving stuff and unlike the drilling, um, I, I think majority of the research stuff is just good. It's just different levels of good. Is that right, it's, Tom?
2: It's basically all good. There's well, yeah, there, there's thought. no there's no bad side to the dice like there is in the diving. But you do need to get specific combinations of sides of the dice to get rewards. But yeah. we kind of we all felt when we were playing it that like going topside was just a good thing to do pretty early on <laughs> and like you'd get rewarded pretty quickly for it. Is there um a
1: sort of mechanic where players who decide to go topside and leave that first game behind are like um, advantage for doing it early. I mean, it sounds like these objective cards are doing that work, right? I mean, the, what I'm really asking is, is there an interesting moment where someone goes topside and players are like, oh no, I was going to do that and now it's less good.
2: Yeah, because you can sell your, the, the little boats that you're sending around um, to collect stuff as a diver uh, on when you're on sink side. When you go topside, you sell all those boats and you get some money for it. And you can potentially get quite a lot for each one, I seem to remember. So there is like I think, a bonus yeah, where... Yeah. It was like once someone went topside, I was like, "Ah, I might as well just spend a little bit more time on Sinkside because they got the big bonus for selling all their boats.
0: But it's just the fact that as soon as you do go topside, and it might not even be topside, it might be Sunside because there was some annoying thing, like the card on the top of your discard pile was called like top side or something and then the, oh yeah it's like there was some really like this is confusing but <laughs> the, the problem is when you do it the game just loses all of its excitement like there's no right there's no exploration there's no uh risk and it, because of that no one really wants us to do it and we did it at the end of the game and then everyone's scores kind of explode and it, it felt like one of these things where you think okay the idea of this game of being like, you know, we're going to go out and explore, then we're going to come back and we're going to build a society. It's really cool. But to see all of these double-sided cards with individual art, having like the same character in two different like scenarios for like out at sea and at home doing society stuff. So cool. But just think, wow, like it just felt like a project that had had a lot of stuff pumped into it and it just didn't land. um And it was like the start of the game had a lot of promise and excitement and by the end of it, we were all just like pretty
1: tapped out. It's Um, so weird, isn't it? That I mean, especially with management games or Euro games, as we call them in the tabletop scene, that the difference between a good one and a bad one is so difficult to describe. It's like, you know, theme always makes a game sound exciting, but a game with a terrible theme that just works is just electric. Whereas this with an amazing theme, I'm just trusting you that when you say, Gwyn's, it's not fun. I'm like, I'm sure it isn't. You know what I mean? (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
0: it's um. It, I mean, also, like, even though some of the stuff is exciting, it's there's a lot of stuff going on here. You know, you've got a Concordia card system and two sets of chunky dice and, like, tiles in a bag. And um, there was just an awful lot of, of randomness. And uh, I, I don't think that was really too much of a problem. But I think as soon as you're rolling dice and the outcome is either good or really good, it's just a bit dull. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, that's flotilla. Uh, it was promising. Um, but basically for a box that was so heavy and had so many components in it and so many interesting ideas, it didn't feel like it managed to really tie itself together. It felt like it was just a bit too fluffy here and there. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder, it's an interesting one and we can never really speculate about how games are designed and stuff but it it did feel to me i'd be quite interesting like in some ways i felt the central premise of you all going out there in the first phase and having this complete flip where you flip all the cards over i felt like in the long run that maybe hindered the game more than it helps it even though it's on paper
1: sounds cool it's definitely not the first time we've we've said you know sometimes designers it just seems like they need a they need something special they need to stand out rather than having the confidence to just put together a a really good smaller simpler game
0: well yeah but i mean to be fair to them as well like these hooks help in terms of 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 getting people interested and you know it's like it's it's a tough one i get it um but i think it's it's something we've seen a lot more of in the past few years especially with kickstarter games where really you know you're selling an idea and uh, if the idea sounds cool then often um and i think that's probably why we end up having the majority of very super hyped kickstarter games being a bit disappointing because the ideas they have are really ambitious but they've maybe not led the design with that idea at the very core of it you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely
2: hey uh, you know what i do need to say though the one thing that i got to talk about is the punch board oh okay
1: i'm i'm <laughs> i am here for this i'm in self isolation Let- <laughs> i'm not going anywhere for 6
2: weeks let me tell you about how bad this punch board was. It was a whole new level of punch board. The game has these tiny little victory point stars, which there are 500 of, I think. Um, or not. I mean, there's 500 points worth of stars in varying sizes. Um, right. Or like you need to put 100 points into each uh, into the game. You need 100 points per player. So in our three player game, we had 300 points made up of like various 50 point ones and one points and five points and et cetera, et cetera. But you have to punch them all individually, obviously. And the cardboard like just bends and frays and oh, it was such a nightmare. So we had these wonky stars and it just made me so sad. Tom, Uh, in your career as a
1: board game specialist, have you encountered um,
2: misaligned punch boards? I have. And this wasn't misaligned. It was very well printed onto the punch board. But boy, when you tried to punch that out, it was like trying to get something out of a lot of glue.
1: I mean, <laughs>
2: and here's me thinking
1: we're in the golden age of punch board. you know, punchboards just getting thicker and thicker. It mm-hmm. uh, didn't seem sustainable. No. But, uh, I mean, who knows what the future holds for punch board. Matt, any thoughts on punch board?
0: It's a dark day for Punchboard quins. There's no mistaking that. And I think hopefully we're not going to want to see more of this in the future. I think we've got kids in one of those strange transition phases. They've started to put some, some pretty good artwork into their games, but perhaps that production quality just isn't quite up to scratch. We'll have more on this story at noon. Can you do your foreign correspondent voice
1: forever? I've- Really enjoyed that.
0: I'm afraid I, I'm not quite picking you up there, but uh, I'm,
1: I'm, yep, we're hoping to have an update on this later in the day. <laughs> I've changed my mind, it's a terrible idea. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna move on and uh, talk about a game that's good, right? Too many games in the podcast recently have been bad, it's not always gonna be the case. It's I, not our fault, it's well, I mean, to some extent, it is <laughs> anyway. Uh, I played Alubari, A Nice Cup of Tea by Studio H. So this is a game about um, building a railroad in sort of British colonial India. Uh, Not going to go off on one about colonialization this time. So this is based on a game called Snowdonia, which was about building a railroad in, I think, Wales. Uh, And now we're building a railroad in India. Um, Players are tasked with not just building the railroad, though, but... uh, building the little towns that uh, are going to crop up as you're building tea plantations as well. So you're simultaneously building railroads and towns and developing tea plantations and this is i would say an absolute case study of a worker placement game that just gets everything right so worker placement is this system where players have a little pool of workers and then you take turns putting your worker on a very limited number of spaces so if you want to you know excavate a tea plantation that's you doing that no one else is going to do that if you want to get some iron no one else can do that this round the first thing that's interesting about alubari is you only have two workers. So it is incredibly tight and small. And then the use of the resources is really cramped as well. Uh, one of the things you can do is spend steel to get equipment cards. One of the equipment cards is just called Very Reliable Train, which really made me laugh. <laughs> um, or you can get shunters, which are trains that are, that push dirt, I guess. Um, but there's hardly any of these. Um, If you want to build railways, there's not that many railroad tracks, and then the actual towns that you're building to get victory points and resources, there's not many of those either. So rather than, I think, what a lot of work placement games do, where you might have eight or nine workers and you put them out, and there's not much sort of like conflict, in Alubari, when it gets to your turn, you are agonizing over to where to put your one guy or what to spend this small pile of steel you've amassed on. And whatever you do, someone around the table is going to tut or groan um, because the board is just that tight, even though there's, over the course of a game, quite a variety of things to do. Because of the nature of building this railroad, um, it's it's perennially a bit sort of cramped because to begin with, when the railroad only connects a few towns, you can only build in those towns and you will. And then when someone extends the railroad, suddenly you only have one more town to build in which is really, really nice. Um, But the main bit of colour in this game comes from tea. Uh, Matt, Tom, I don't know if you know this, but tea is really good. It makes your workers basically like superhuman. So as you're excavating these plantations, which doesn't get you many victory points, um, there will occasionally be tea harvests and you can turn tea leaves into chai and you can feed chai into your workers, at which point they become basically like Captain America. And when you put them on a worker placement space, you get more than double the reward that you should, which in a game this sort of uh, tight is amazing. You can also get this coax workers out of a tea house you can go into the tea house if you've got tea and say i will give you some tea to work for me and then for that turn you have a third worker and then at the end of that turn that worker goes away this is not one of the worst worker placement games where you can get more and more and more workers it's a game where if you play your cards right you might get a third for a couple of turns before they leave <laughs> um and then another thing that makes the game uh, sort of very peculiar and a mechanic that just really works is this idea of weather So in addition to this fascinating idea of tea, there's this amazing idea of weather. You wouldn't believe... I'm trying to make make fun of myself here, but honestly, the tea and weather in this game are so exciting. (laughs) Um, Because the way weather works is that um, you have these discs that show whether it's cloudy, sunny, or rainy. Um, And there's three of these discs out, so you know the weather for this turn and the two turns coming next. Um, And then every turn, you're going to change the weather and put out a new thing. Um, But then every time it's sunny... um, the ability to build railroads will be improved. Every time it rains, you know, tea harvests will get better, which means, and it's not like on this turn specifically, railroads are better. If there is a run of sunny days, building railroads will get better and better and better. Mm. So these actions that you're doing with workers, which were already like a tough decision anyway, now you have this really like lovely gooey decision space where it's like, okay, yes, I could build two tracks of rail with my worker this turn, but if I do it next turn, that same worker will get me three rail because it's sunnier, right? right. Um, or if I wait even longer than it could be four. But, you know, then you're thinking so far into the future that probably it's just best to do the crap version of that action now and stop daydreaming because who knows what the board state's <laughs> going to be like two days from now. Maybe yeah, you... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry, that just already is is giving me a a mildly pleasant headache, just thinking about it. Yeah, it's really neat, because, you know, what if you're waiting for that perfect day to, you know, plant some tea leaves or whatever, and then, you know, when that day comes, you look at the tea plantations and all of your friends, you know, were out there in the rain and the smog, like, doing the tea inefficiently, and now it's all gone. (laughs) And so, yeah, theoretically, you could have some amazing run of clearing rubble to plant tea plantations and then take the tea and make your workers even better, but, like it's a game that constantly sort of dangles perfection and efficiency in front of you but if you try and chase that you're just going to trip yourself up because you really need to think about what's the right move right now mm. uh, so that summarizes uh, the whole game but um it's just kind of a it's in fact it's an interesting counterpoint to flotilla because it's not flashy it doesn't have a hook it's just a worker placement game with a mid-sized manual and a mid-sized box and a mid-sized price range and quite an unappealing frankly art design But it just gets everything right. Um, In fact, I almost, you know, didn't put it in front of my friend. I almost didn't take it to um, one of my last game nights before um, self-isolation was imposed in the UK which is an insane sentence to say out loud. Um, But uh, but I almost didn't bring it to that game night because I was like, I've played so many Euro games. You know, this just looks like another one of those. I can't see what's special about it, but everyone on the internet says it's good. It's kind of like people telling you to read a book. You know, you don't want to do it. But then when you do, it's like, oh no, this is good. You know, and then you become that obnoxious (laughs) person telling other people to play it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've had uh, similar feelings with that, with a a game we'll probably talk about on the next podcast, uh, which is, uh, again, like sometimes you look at it and you're like, this
1: is so dry and ugly and I don't know. mm, uh, You're talking about uh, City of the Big Shoulders. Yeah. You were trying to be coy there. I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow it. City of the Big
0: Spoilers.
2: yeah, you've whipped, <laughs> you've
0: whipped back the curtain. You've whipped back the. All right, well, let's pull back the curtain even further to fully reveal myself in the shower of podcast lies. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's rough, but I'm, we're having to I'm having to <laughs> having to ration uh, my interesting <laughs> games to talk about because we played it like, and I can't play board games with people because I'm not allowed out the house, and that's a bit sad. There are bigger problems in the world, but. Um, I mean, you're allowed to be
1: sad about little problems.
2: Yeah, no,
0: everyone's allowed to be sad about little problems. You've got to embrace that.
1: Um, I uh, will say that um, Alubari is as green as City of the Big Shoulders is beige. Like, these are both two games which, you know, given, like, offered all of the colours in the universe, you know, chose to work with, like, one. Um, And it's kind of a bummer for me because... Specifically within Alibari's like theme uh, of, you know, Indian tea plantations, there's a lot of um, sort of local thematic art that you could work with. You know, the, I can't, uh, Raja of the Ganges, is that one? There were a few Indian themed management games that came out a while back and they really like drew from the fact that Indian culture is so colourful and so varied. And then Alibari just essentially doesn't look too different from a game about building a railroad over a mountain in Wales. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, and that was that's something that uh, that had me wishing when we played it. Like, you know, these Euro games that are getting deluxe editions now? Mm. Um, the Rococo deluxe editions just coming out. I would love to. I, I might even keep in my collection a deluxe edition of Alubari A Nice Cup of Tea if they got in uh, a very good artist who really put some love into it. But yeah, uh, that is Alubari A Nice Cup of Tea. A nice cup of tea.
2: Hey, Matt and Quinns. You've hey, just Tom? heard a sting, right? You've just heard a sting. Then, yeah, yep. we're going to be. In- was it?
0: Was it actually the sting from the police? It was, or it was, was it the it-
2: sting from the police made us an like, audio sting just for gosh. our podcast. If you if you listen to it uh, reversed and slowed down, it's just him chanting his name three times into a saxophone. He loves um, doing that. He loves doing that and having
0: tantric sex. They're the only two things he'll do now. The I was only sat, two things. I was
1: sat at my desk thinking, oh great, we've someone's mentioned Sting. How long and can we just get, all, get away? Because I just hate hit the idea of Sting having tantric sex, and it's always in my head. <laughs> it's always in your head. The idea, yeah, is, it is. How is it problem. not in yours? The idea oh. of Sting having sex for like seven hours or whatever. Is
2: this like hold on, is this like a known thing that I've missed? Yeah. Like oh, is it really? Okay. I'm not making it up. I'm not like just just saying weird things okay um, uh, is sting you know, is a tantric sex aficionado huh
0: he got really into it um oh. uh, maybe he's not anymore but it's like i never <laughs> used to i never used to understand that you know there's celebrities getting into weird stuff and then you realize that they they only hang out with other celebrities so they all end yeah. up being like super weird um so
2: yeah anyway that's so fun the game that i'm going to talk about is uh sting tantric sex no 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 (laughs) that's a kickstarter game right tom yeah it's a it comes in a big a big box deluxe edition and it comes with a life-size model of sting for you to practice with what are Uh, the components like (laughs) stop stop abort flip the switch the punch board is terrible
0: (laughs) <laughs> oh boy uh, Okay, um, How much what game th- are you going to tell us about?
2: I'm going to talk to you, Matt and Quins, About Tokyo Game Show A little small box from Jordan Draper It is mm. pretty good I really enjoyed my time with Tokyo Game Show Let me paint you a picture of what comes in the box Firstly, you're going to need to picture Six plastic wristbands And now, you're going to need to picture A load of assorted scoring discs uh, Some weird dice some cards and some more discs and that's the whole game plus manual here's how it works um everyone puts on a plastic wristband and that's their player color for the rest of the game and then the games master puts on his special games master badge which is glow in the dark then everyone is gonna he's gonna draw some cards from this big deck of like 60 games and they're all like WarioWare mini games and everyone has to then play those games and they score points based on the individual conditions of that game. So it's like a box of just 60 mini games that you string together however you fancy. These mini games range from medium good to very good with a few bads in there. Um, It's a weird mixed bag and as long as your group is like relatively patient to play a couple that are like a bit weird you'll probably have a good time with it. So, for example, one of the highs, one of the best games that was in there, uh, was called Ghost Stories, uh, which involves you taking the 12 glow-in-the-dark discs and putting them in the middle of the table, turning out all of the lights, and then everyone then has to tell a ghost story, and whoever tells the best ghost story gets a point. But the ghost stories are ones you've just got to invent about, like, a specific ghost and how they died, and they have to be really short. It's ridiculous like it's so silly just everyone's screaming at you their their stupid ghost story like because everyone just talks over each other with <laughs> telling you about like evil evil ken the ghost that died you know uh meeting <gasps> up with sting or whatever it's so silly like oh gosh it's such a bizarre Wait, minigame tell, um,
1: i want to hear more i want to hear more
2: uh what about uh wet Ken. <laughs> Wait, did I say Ken was the last Wait, one? Wait, no. I don't
1: want to hear ghost stories. <laughs> 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 Wet uh, Ken. Oh, I definitely got. don't want to want to hear Two. about <laughs> Sting or Wet Ken or
0: what they did together <laughs> or oh, how they died.
2: Yeah. So uh, another mini game. Uh, all the best ones are the ones that involve the glow in the dark discs. Um, not just because they glow glow-in-the-dark, but one of them is you get the discs, you tell everyone to leave the room, and you just hide the discs around the room, and then everyone just has to run <laughs> in and find them. Um, there's a game where the host of the game show has to imitate an object in the room, and the first person to guess gets points. Um, guess what object they're imitating, that is. Um, oh, that's good. There's just so many of them, and they're all ridiculous. Oh, man, I'm trying to remember more. Um, no, but this
1: sounds absolutely amazing. But
2: it's great because you can just shuffle that deck and just draw some games at random and they'll probably be good. And if they're not good, they're funny. And it's just like, it's such a wonderful like box of just stupid nonsense. Like we put some uh, some Yellow Magic Orchestra on in the background and it got very like sort of hyperactive and bizarre. Because um, most of the games involve like getting up and doing stuff. Um, it's It's good. I really enjoyed it. This sounds um, superb.
1: And did you say that one player is like not on the team, but is just hosting?
2: Yes, they're just the Tokyo game show host and they've got a badge and they wear it with pride. <laughs> oh, I love that so
1: much. I mean, it's, it's been pointed so out silly. by the Shut Up and Sit Down fans that, of course, you know, we like games like that and Blood on the Clock Tower where there is a role in the game which is like, look at me. Um, yeah. Because that's, you know, who we are. There's no getting away from that. But um, I love that. I, yeah. I really it's, give it, letting someone sort of like try and. Wrangle a party game like that, especially one that can get that raucous.
2: Yeah. Kind of makes sense. We came up with uh, in one of our games, we sort of just determined that the house rule is that cheating is allowed as long as it's funny, um, which yep. works so well because it's just like then the game becomes all about bribing the judge. And I was wondering if there were ways that like you could integrate the judge being able to earn points. But then we're getting ahead of ourselves and making a some-modded version of Tokyo Game oh, Show. Oh
1: wow! Like in like the judges, like the vagabond from Root. Yeah,
2: absolutely, uh, a renegade doing their own thing. But it's it's really like I don't know how much longevity it has in it, really. But like as just like a random party game, one of the ones that we played before full lockdown uh, in the UK, it was such like a wonderful like burst of energy um, to get to the table. So that's Tokyo Game right. Show, Jordan Draper. It's very good. I really like it. <laughs>
1: Wow, I might actually have to go and get myself a copy of that uh, <laughs> after the the thing. Uh, should I talk a bit about the Castles of Burgundy? Mm, Ooh, how are The Castles of Burgundy uh, are alive and may or may not be full of COVID-19 uh, at the time of this podcast. But the, in the board game, probably no COVID-19 unless you've sneezed at it. I don't know. Um, this was... Uh, I dug this out because there was a comment on the last podcast saying, you know, shut up and sit down, just talk about all these new games, and they're not often very good, and where's the passion of the early episodes? And I was kind of inspired by that to go and take a game that I haven't played in a long time that I am or was passionate about and see if it holds up. And uh, it do, it does. So um, The Castles of Burgundy by Steffen Feld and published by Ravensburger, Um, just last year received the uh, fancy 20th anniversary edition, which has like nine expansions in the box. But uh, despite Googling it, I couldn't figure out why it was the 20th anniversary edition because the game came out nine years ago, (laughs) um, which is a kind of level of marketing that's like cheeky to the point of like nonsensicalness. Um, If someone wants to leave a comment explaining why that is, go ahead. Um, Also, Castles of Burgundy is relevant because Steffenfeld is releasing The Castles of Tuscany uh, later this year and um, has been quoted as saying it might resemble the Castles of Burgundy in some way. <laughs> Which, and I can't tell if that's like Steffen Feld being coy or just annoying. Um, but if you've not played the Castles of Burgundy, it's an absolute classic. Uh, I, I'm going to describe this like how Tom described Tokyo Game Show. Um, you Imagine you two, a box. It's about the size of... Um, the, it's the dimensions of like the door of a microwave, but a few inches deep. Um, It's got some punch board in it Uh um, Full of hexagons It's got a manual Cool It's got about eight dice It's got uh, uh, No, I'm I'm boring myself in this job What
0: what about Wet Ken? Where's Wet Ken? Where's wet
1: Wet Ken? wet ken the ghost of wet ken give us Shut wet up. ken we've spoke i've spoken the words wet ken twice on this podcast and i don't want to say it a third time because i think this is like Candyman and wet ken will have... no
0: <laughs> hashtag wet ken. hashtag where's wet ken hashtag where is wet ken i
1: genuinely had to look beside, behind myself
0: uh, as a result of saying <laughs> wasn't there I think I think of him like I know that there's all sorts of potential here to have wet Ken being someone who drowned etc for me I just imagine it being uh, in the traditional UK usage of oh don't be wet uh, Mm. of just having someone called Ken who's just a bit weedy and moaning oh I don't oh, it's cold outside, I don't want to go for
2: a walk. The ghost so of Wet Ken isn't even dead, he just thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just or everyone else wishes he was. He just doesn't oh, have God. the chutzpah to believe he's alive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway. Good Lord. Right, so The Castles of Burgundy is a game where, if you've not played it, everyone is given their own private castle board. And in the it's a it's a sort of a, a honeycomb, if you will, of hexagons um, that you will need to build out. And in the very middle is your castle. And around the castle are a bunch of different colored spaces. So there might be some gray hexagons that you have to build mines on and yellow ones that you have to build towns on. Green ones you build pigs and cows on. You don't build a pig, but you kind of do in the game. Anyway, um, and then on your turn, you're going to roll two dice of your color. So, Matt, let's say you get a four and a five. Um, Those dice can be used either to collect tiles from the central board, which is kind of a shop of tiles that you can put on your estate. So you might use the 4 and the 5 to take uh, a bunch of pigs from the 4 space and I don't know, a a town hexagon from the 5 space. Mm -hmm. But you can also use the 4 and 5 to place hexagons you've already taken onto your board. Because all of the hexagons on your personal player board also have a number in. So if you want to put something in the space next to your castle that's number 4, you have to use a 4 dice to do that. Um, So you're kind of Uh, limited by not just the dice you roll, but also the fact that you can take hexagons from the central board and be like, ah, I will put all these on my castle, but you only have three slots to store hexagons that you haven't yet put down. Mm. So what that means is, you know, you might be like, oh, at at this round, I'm going to start by taking a bunch of good stuff before anyone else can take it. That's exciting. But what that then means is if you've taken three things, you then have to put them down. And what if you roll your dice and that you get a six and a six and you're not next to any sixes, so you can't, Put those hexagons down on the six. You're in real trouble, Matthew. You might have to spend those dice, you know, going and doing one of the crappy, like, compromise actions. (sighs) Um, It is as simple as that. It is, on your turn, roll two dice, and then you can use them to take two things, or put two things down, or take a thing and put it down. Um, And then the rewards you get for putting stuff on your board, it's like a pinball table. Like, it's just, you know, you put down some pigs. Bam! You get victory points. You put down a house. Bam! That lets you take another tile, uh, which you can then put down with your second dice. Bam! And you get another thing. You get that a sounds that means you
2: Nothing can. like a pinball table.
1: Well, yeah. So here's the thing. Look, Tom, you're new. Let me explain. For nine years on Shut Up and Sit Down, I have used very poorly chosen analogies and no one has caught me on it. You you yeah, Tom, need to
0: Tom, you've got to you can't do that. I'll talk sorry, to you exactly I'm, sorry, this, I'm sorry. But okay, you, you can't just, point out the fact that everything he says is nonsense, all right? <laughs> he gets very sensitive about it. Shut sure,
1: sure, up. Uh, I, I will uh, explain a little bit more. All I mean is that, you know when you play a pinball table and the ball bounces around and it's like, reward, reward, yeah, reward. Yeah. you got 10 points, 10 points, 10 points. Um, Castles of Burgundy has that feel. Um I was listening to a Shut Up and Down Damn podcast where Matt and I talked about Lisboa a while back, which is the antithesis of that. Uh, Lisboa is this game where you can pour time and thought and energy into it, and then the final result is you might be able to put down one cube after 20 minutes that gets you, like, four
2: points. Like one like of those coin-pushing games you get at, like, an arcade Yes! Yeah. Yes, which, which Americans
1: don't have, so... Oh, well, uh, I was going to just uh, be
2: like, sequins? Now that's a cool analogy. Better no, that than is a stinking pinball...
1: I'm going (laughs) to admit that I'm beaten here that absolutely is a better analogy Um, but yeah Castles of Burgundy is the opposite every time you put a tile down you get a reward and over the course of the game you're going to be putting you know 30 or 40 tiles it's got that in common with Suburbia actually where you're building up a map of hexagons and then each one is getting you something yeah, yeah, I was going to say it sounds a lot like that. Yes, it is uh, like that. Uh, I thought you were going to say more than so, no. I'm uh, just I'm just repeating your observation, <laughs> and that's it. It's um it's like suburbia, but kind of fixed basically. So whereas suburbia <laughs> is you can put any hexagons anywhere, um, castles of Burgundy will say, well, you can put pigs here or cows, and then if you don't have any pigs or cows, you cannot build there, which becomes part of the puzzle. Um I won't talk about it more cuz it's a very old game and certainly if you've been in board games for a long time you've probably heard or played the Castles of Burgundy. But I'm here to say um it's good. It's still really 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 good. I play I took it off my shelf of my collection of 100 games. I played it. I put it back on my shelf cuz it's still in my top 100 games. Still that's there. commitment. It's that still is there. commitment. That is commitment. I've got to be
0: honest, I've got a few things in my collection that I wish I had uh I had uh, uh, given away or sent away or before the, the lockdown and more importantly I've got a few things I got rid of that I wouldn't have gotten rid of um if I'd known that I was going to be spending so much time à la a la
1: moi here's a sort of social question that I have been wondering about for you know about like the last week since we went into like um isolation I don't know how sort of what, like good citizenship it is to be taxing the postal service I've got packages that I could send out but I'm like are there mm. careers needed for, to do other things? I think it,
0: I mean, I've been leaning towards the fact that it's more responsible to just be using delivery services and not leaving the house than it is to try and do things yourself. So, mm. I, I, and I don't know, like, I, I think it's, it's tough to say, but I I haven't felt bad about that because I think that, you know, it depends on your circumstances, but for people who are going to be have to be inside for a while, um, you've got to not go mad and I think if you stop yourself from having things happening in your life for example I just went out and immediately my panic buying wasn't really panic buying it was more me just looking at the news and going I'll oh, flip I'm going to be stuck inside for months and immediately going online and buying a big ass granite pizza stone I want a crazy flipping <laughs> um, like metal thing for getting pizzas in and out of the oven uh, <laughs> and it's huge and my wife looks at me as if to go what have you done what is this and I'm just like look,
1: <laughs> I'm going to be inside for a long time and I'm going to get really good at making pizza.
2: Tom, were you able... Uh, I
1: mean, sorry, that is a noble goal, Matt, but I would love to know if, what Tom...
2: What sort of preparation Tom did uh, in the last week? I m- I've made a sourdough starter. So far, it's going Ooh. okay. It's bubbling away in my kitchen, <laughs> looking positively unhealthy. But really, I've just been, you know, I've been trying to play all of the games that I got sent by you, Quins uh in the post to have a bit of a test with but no one's around anymore uh yeah. they've all gone to go cuz i you know i was like looking forward to playing something like etin like a big eight player chunky one and now i've got no one to play it with it's sad i'm
1: <laughs> currently putting together a video on um my five favorite new card games that came out recently and the video ends with the fifth game being like I only played this once so <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, you know. It's good.
0: Yeah, it's it's. We actually, uh, I put up a an update video on our YouTube channel this week on behalf of the whole team, just to get something out there, um, to sort of explain what's going on. And it's not a big deal, but for those listening, it's it's going to be a, a strange and bumpy couple of months minimum for Shut Up and Sit Down, just because we do love reviewing games, but we can't really play them together at the moment. And so because of that, uh, we are going to have to be doing things a little bit differently. And that may have a long tail effect as well, because there's lots of games now that would be going into production or would be getting shipped out that aren't. So um, we're going to be doing some different stuff. I think, Quinns, you're thinking about looking into um, maybe some print and play stuff, maybe some solo stuff?
1: Yeah, solo stuff, definitely. Print and play stuff, um, probably. Um, but yeah, a lot of people online are sharing all kinds of fun, um, printy, solo-y things. Mm. Um And you, Matt, are looking at some board game apps, I believe.
0: Yeah, we're going to be looking at some digital versions of board games uh, and uh, which ones are fun to play online. So hopefully going to be revisiting a lot of old classics again and seeing if they're fun to play online with people. Also, um, just in the process now of doing a mad tidy to try and find a corner of my flat that I can turn into a little video streaming studio. So we're hopefully going to be doing some stuff on Twitch, even if it is just me playing Gloomhaven on my own Um, (laughs) which honestly I'd enjoy that sounds Um, pretty good although I have heard that you can just yeah you can post people the deck of cards and then they can play remotely but I still think it wouldn't be the same
1: but we'll see Oh, never been a better time to um, play some RPGs by Skype either. Yep,
0: we're going to be doing that. Um, I've been looking into a couple of things at the moment. I'm leaning towards doing something with maybe some Mothership, maybe some Blades in the Dark. Mm. Uh, But no, yeah, we got some people on for that. I think Ava's going to do some stuff with that. Hopefully, going to get some Pip involved in that and have some some like sort of Skype video thing. It's all very rough and ready, and I think if you're listening to this, I'd just bear in mind that, hey, if over the next few months you look at what we're doing and you're like, I don't like this as much, or the quality's not quite as high as it was a few months ago, <laughs> then just bear with us, and uh, we'll be back to normal
1: <laughs> as soon as the world is back to normal. Speaking of back to normal, um, I've got another game on this list for you two to talk about that I'm very interested in, mm. which is can spelt C-A-I-R-N. Spelled C-A-I-R-N. Mm. Well,
2: quins, Not the other Cairn.
0: Oh no! no. <laughs> now we're playing wet can. Can uh, you believe it? This game, pretty great. Tom,
2: would you like to introduce some can? Can is like chess, isn't it? But it's not it's, really like yeah, chess. No, it's just like an abstract game, which is why I think it's like chess. And that's all I have to say about can. <laughs> uh,
0: it's basically um, I've I kind of referred to this as, as druid rugby. There's no ball, so it's not a good analogy. Um, No, continuing
2: the theme of this podcast.
0: Yeah, but effectively what you have to try and do is get your pieces to the other side of the board and get them to hop off the edge of the map. And then that gets you a point. You could also get a point if you manage to thwack uh, one of the other player's druids using some sort of arcane or dangerous means. Um, And that will get you a point. When you get three points, you win the game. And you're looking at this board, which I think is like a five by five um, grid. I can't remember the Can my confirm
1: head. it is five by five. I've got Nailed my pictures it. up now. I'm looking at it.
0: <laughs> it's five by five, and you have two different teams of druids the blue ones, who are the best because they got really good faces and great hats. Yeah, they're cool. And the brown ones, who are like, fine, whatever. Um, and the way the game works is you take it in turns to move. A druid or do a thing and there are three actions you can choose from at any point in the game and they're communal um and it seems odd to say communal but it's because these actions actually flip so these three action tokens are available at any point every time you use one of those actions you flip that piece of cardboard and it becomes a slightly different version so it might be that you use an action that allows you to hop over another player's druid like you're playing checkers um But then you flip it and it will be now the power is you can flip over one of your own druids, but not another player's druid. And the interesting thing about that is you've got a total of six actions, but really it's kind of three with a twist on each of them. But it means that you've got a lot of visibility about what your action is going to do and how it's going to change the board state and the options for the player on their next turn. And it means you have some interesting stalemates quite early on of realising that the other player really wants to use the other side of an action. So you don't want to use that (laughs) because then you'll be giving them a thing that they need Um, and vice versa. If they use it, you might want to specifically use it just to get to the other side. Um, But it's not a game that has a lot of room for stalemates because it just gets it gets quite fiddly quite quickly.
2: Do you want to explain some of the fiddliness, Tom? In the, the cairns themselves, right? Which, mm. so if you manage, I think it's if, it's if you manage to take another po- opponent's piece, which is by boxing them, by forming a line, uh, which can yeah, either this... be horizontal or diagonal, perhaps, if I remember yeah, correctly. Mu- <laughs> it's
0: much like the... Um... Tom only played this once, I've played it three or four times. <laughs> um, uh, basically, much like the actual action, there's a criteria for uh, wiping out an enemy druid, and that also flips every time you happen. it happens. And I think it's like you have to have in a line friendly druid, friendly druid, yes. and an enemy druid, or you have to sandwich them in the middle, so it's like friendly druid, bad druid, friendly druid. So you've got that kind of chess thing of trying to avoid being stuck in certain shapes, because otherwise... You're going to get wiped off. They'll get a point. But a new
2: can will be added to the board. And they add some crazy powers, which if oh, you stand a, on, they give you a cool thing. <laughs> so is like, a
1: can like a, a druid graveyard?
2: It's, it's like, like a like, pile of rocks. It's like a pile okay, of rocks. Okay, I'm going to Google this while you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> but the the way that those uh, start introducing... Like, they just speed up the game exponentially as each one gets added. Because you start... Like The the basics of the game are so simple that you can kind of math out each possibility pretty quickly. And what you were saying about there not being much room for stalemates is really true, because you can kind of say, right, I can't do that one, I can't do that one, so I'll have to do that one, and then you do it, and then if you make a mistake, whatever. But like, there's not much room for AP, as far as I'm aware. I mean, I took a while on my turns, but you were zipping through them, (laughs) if I remember correctly.
0: (laughs) I'm fast and loose for these things. But yeah, it's. I think it's every time anyone scores a point, you add a new cairn. It may be that when you get yeah. a person over the line. So the interesting thing about these is the first game we had, the game I played with you, Tom, uh, nothing too wild happened with these. The power on the cairns we had on the board was, I think if you step on this cairn, then as part of that same action, you will then to move another friendly piece one space yes, or when
2: you step on this can you can move another can or something like that
0: yeah so you can move the location of a can and there's things like step on this can and you immediately teleport to a different can or step on this can and you'll immediately be able to move an enemy piece but then some of them are absolutely bonkers and they chain together which means you'll step onto a thing you move one of your pieces which will step onto another can which will shift another piece back which will then leave <laughs> oh, you in Wow! The, yeah, right right so it, it becomes this thing of there's no AP initially it's just light and fun and then it gets complicated <laughs> and really it's fascinating for a number of reasons. it's fascinating partially because like a it's not it's not balanced you know it's not it's not fair. Um, and I've had one game of it whereby one of the early cans that appeared was just a can where if you stand on it then um, your piece gets banished just like just gets knocked off the board. Um, And it was in a position where basically that combined with another one, another cairn, I had both these on my sort of side of the board, really. But another one, which I had great access to, was if you step on this, then you can immediately move an enemy player. And it meant that they couldn't come anywhere near this cairn, which was kind of to the right-hand side, but still kind of middle of the board, because then (laughs) I would just immediately walk them into this black hole.
1: And and it just meant I won the game really quickly. But do you, in a game of like, because chess is obviously known for being a bit of perfect information. If you're going to eliminate a piece, do you know the can that's going to be placed on where they were? Um,
0: No, there's an option of two that you can place Mm -hmm. at any point. So you'll know which you'll get to choose one of the two. Um, but you you don't know which ones are going to be coming next. And I think one of right. the cans was simply like replace this can with a random can or something. I can't, I can't remember if that's the case. I, I'm a little fuzzy on some of the specifics, but but basically uh, the, the core of it is you're basically playing chicken uh, with your own brain because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the games don't last very long, which means if you have a game where like you just look at it and you go, you know what? I can't do anything here. you've won. It's not a big deal. They they only last like 10 minutes. You can get through a game in five, 10 minutes. So you just play again. But the thing that's interesting about it is if you have a game where it's really kind of going on and you end up having it's like two all, who's going to get the third point? Because you've then added, I believe this is the case, you've added four new cans to the board. (laughs) um, It's bonkers. And it means that really you're just looking at it, trying to work out the best move, trying to avoid giving the other player any room. And really, it's just, it's a game of chicken. It's the first player to mess up. It's like, it's just a thing of like, as soon as your brain can't quite handle the puzzle, you lose. And uh, honestly, I really love it because it's like, it's an escalation of complication that then just becomes a thing of like, how, for how long can you keep this complex puzzle in your head? And if you lose it, it's over. And that's quite satisfying to not have that thing of being like, oh, I didn't see that. Oh, and now I've got to play for 40 minutes. You know, it's just like, oh, I didn't see that. You've won. well played. <laughs> It's like a game of, of like lots of random scenarios that keep it, keep it quite fresh and quite peppy. And you can play three or four games in a row and it's still a lot of fun. But at the same time, there's no trudge to it. It means that the, the pivotal point is the end of the game. There's no like lingering
1: death That's really interesting. Um, And I guess, you know, one of the big problems with chess is that, you know, it takes so long to sort of start with all the like, you know, nerve wracking early moves. And then when someone starts losing, it takes so long to make sure they have actually lost. And this seems to solve both problems by being so quick to set up and start and then, Mm -hmm. you know, very rapidly approaching a conclusion. I'm just looking at a picture and I've been staring at it the whole time you two have been talking. This just looks great. Yep. it is it's really great it's like it's a lovely little box uh as usual
0: my only real complaint is like could have been even smaller um for what's in the box it's, it's pretty pretty basic but uh yeah it takes like a couple of minutes to teach and it's one of those things where like it starts off super super simple and cosmic style you might have a game which is pretty simple or you might have a game which is hellishly complex although it does actually as i should say it has like some some little marks on some of the pieces so you can choose to play with just the basic powers at first and then step up to the more kind of crazy ones later.
1: We're just going to close this um, pod beast out by, uh, or hunt this pod beast down. No, none of this works.
2: Uh I by going this pod beast down. That was good. Uh, oh, thanks, let's, Tom. Let's kill this pod beast with a big gun once <laughs> and for all. No. No, 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 no. Kill it
0: with love. <laughs>
2: Um, yeah, okay. as, as e- usual. Execute it with love. Execute like the, the Pod mm-hmm. beasts by
0: talking about some of the videos,
1: uh, right? Yeah, um, we have put out a couple of videos reviewed recently. Uh, I was delighted watching you uh, two review Wavelength, the party game sensation by, uh, oh, it, it's Wolfgang, right? Mm-hmm. It's Wolfgang Borges. Wolfgang
0: and the people behind Monikers, who uh,
1: yes do have a and
0: name. palm courts, I think, but they don't really flaunt it.
1: You know yeah they just let the game kind of speak for itself. Um YouTube probably won't big up your own work, but I will say the first few minutes of uh, your Wavelength review and even some stuff later on uh had me uh rolling with laughter. Oh, that's really nice. really uh good stuff on the, on the Wavelength review. <laughs> uh I got to I got to play Wavelength uh, just before um everything went down over here and uh, had it, I encountered a it's really all about figuring out what the ends of the scales are, right? And then having having long discussions about, um, you know, it, on a scale of hot to cold, you know, what is, what is the top of the yeah, scale? What exactly, is the hottest thing? Exactly. What is the coldest thing?
0: Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Because uh, people will be like, well, a hot water bottle would be right at the end of the scale. And you're like, no, what about the sun? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: I mean, it's a whole game powered by, uh, powered by that. But do go and check out the Wavelength Review. You've probably heard of it because, you know, Good lord, everyone's been talking about it, but there's a reason everyone's been talking about it. And If you want to know what that reason is, do go check out that video on the Shut Up and Sit Down at YouTube And Jeff. I feel
0: like, honestly, it's a game you could play quite well with Skype by just having everyone closing their eyes and one person looking at the thing at a time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's not an impossible for a, a, a-, a web
2: stream game. Someone's been—I can't remember who it was—but someone's been streaming it recently, right? Was it Actual? Was streaming it? Yeah,
1: Actual Lol has been doing some kind of like uh, streamed game shows from uh, his house, which has been quite sweet. That's very cool. Um, <laughs> anything to add after the, you know, the feedback from the Wavelength review? I just want to say—I just want to say to all the haters.
0: I'll kill you. No, I, I, there weren't really any haters. I've got, I've got nothing to add. I, 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 no. I think it's a really fabulous thing. It's maybe unfortunate timing for a, 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 a big hard plastic device that everyone touches uh, to be landing <laughs> in the market, but definitely one to keep your eye on um, for, for the afterworld that we inhabit because it's a, it's just a beautiful thing, a beautiful box, beautiful production.
1: I've got a lot of time for it. I love it. Um, I, uh, I I don't mean to do the game down, but I do think my favorite thing about it is the box.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think that's doing the game down at all. like the, the components are gorgeous, even the colors of the stripes around the outside of it. it's the only game that I've left on uh, my coffee table and my flat over the past six months that my wife hasn't moved. <laughs> <laughs> like she will allow that to sit in a sort of space rather than being like, can you tidy up your stuff please um,
1: which I think says a lot. Wow, she's accepted it into into the the sort of aesthetic of the living. She's that's lovely. currently
0: using it to prop up her laptop because it's not quite the right height.
1: So that's oh, nice. that's good. It's, board games can have a useful use within <laughs> these difficult times. Uh, yeah, not you might think that board games would be useful in quarantine for things other than hanging laptops on. It's not true. Uh, I did a video review, however, of another game with nice fonts. How's that for uh, wow. a connection Whoa. between those games? Because uh, you two reviewed Wavelength, and I reviewed Restoration Games' Unmatched, um, which has been sort of like coming out uh, steadily over the last years, because it's a collectible game. Um, the first set they released uh, allowed you to take control and fight as Alice in Wonderland, Sinbad the Sailor, uh, King Arthur with Merlin as a kind of feudal tag team partner, <laughs> and someone else who I can't remember. I'm um, Sort of out of copyright. Uh, I think in the review I call it the the bargain basement of uh, out of copyright uh, characters. But since then, they've released a Bruce Lee pack. They've released a Jurassic Park pack. They've released a pack that has Bigfoot versus Robin Hood. So you can have like Bruce Lee versus King Arthur. You can have the Raptors from Jurassic Park versus versus you know Bruce Lee um just just fight bruce lee against everyone uh that's that's one thing you could do it's really good i'm I'm rambling but um it's really very very good in the review i point out that it's so simple i can teach the game with a single breath um wow. it's wonderfully collectible um uh because you know if you want to try it just buy one of the 20 kids sets do robin hood versus bigfoot then if you like it you can buy more you can mix and match maps and characters Um, it's mostly designed as a one versus one brawler and it's really great for that. It's just, you know, 15 minute popcorn fun. But if you want something a bit more complicated and a bit more involved, the two versus two game is really pretty interesting because for a game with um, player elimination, you know, you guys have played video games before when you've got like, when you're fighting two things, obviously focus all of your attacks on one thing. So it's dead and then it's not causing damage to you. Right. Mm -hmm. That's that's the mathematical way to do damage per second. Um, but in Unmatched, because it has movement, um, it becomes a very difficult thing to solve where it's like, okay, let's go and beat up, you know, Robin Hood. But then if Robin Hood starts retreating, it becomes incredibly costly to sort of chase them. And so you get this dance of four characters all pursuing, you know, one person who's been designated as the person we are going to bully this game. <laughs> um, is that fun for the person being bullied? Oh yeah, because movement in Unmatched is really easy. In fact, Um, because you can do, you get two actions on your turn, one of which is to attack, one of which is to uh, scheme, I think, which is like play an event card. But the third thing you can do is draw a card, but drawing a card is how you move, which means um, if players are chasing you and you're running away, you're going to be drawing cards, which is going to turn you into a beast. Mm. Um, Because as long as you're moving and not attacking, then you'll just have a massive hand of cards, and then you'll become so scary, they might not want to chase you anymore. (laughs) That's cute. It's nice, um, but the thing I bang on about in the review is Unmatched has, because it's produced in collaboration with Mondo, um, who mostly are well-known for making movie posters, or Matt, <clears throat> you played um, their The Thing board game mm, yeah. um, a few dozen podcasts ago. Um, they have made Unmatched just such a beautiful game to look at, and it, I in the review I say if you're on the fence about trying it, I'd almost push you off that fence and tell you to buy it just to support the art. Because, you know, the font, I mean, Matt, if, if you could, I'm going to at some point show you the manual for Unmatched because it's the nicest bit of layout. I bet.
0: I bet. I mean, having watched the review, it's like some of the art in that is just gorgeous. Some of the graphic design is just slick as hell. Um, That stuff is always, always great to see. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, So, yeah, uh, you can go and check out my review of Unmatched on the YouTube channel that is our YouTube channel. On the channel. YouTube.com.
0: Check the it out. Internet, YouTube. It's a great website um yeah uh definitely keep an eye on that uh, for things in the future we're going to continue doing podcasts uh, even if we don't know what we're going to talk about i mean me and tom did start a sourdough starter at the same time without knowing it's like a weird crazy same morning oh so it's not it's not a sibling no.
1: cut from the the mother sourdough no, we
0: we both were just chatting i was like what have you done this morning and we both just done the same thing sourdough it's starter a race knowing. for the
1: dough
0: How, i mean w- maybe they won't both live we'll see Maybe there'll be a favourite child. No Find out knows. next
2: time on the show.
1: <laughs> <and> I, <was, laughs> I had a sourdough starter a few years ago and while I was opening it to feed it, I spilled it and it, or like the 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 classic tub containing it got knocked over and I didn't notice. And it sort of smeared itself across my table and landed on the carpet. Oh. And can, candidly, I have never ever created a stain or like a, a mess in my life that was more repulsive. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It's not pleasant stuff. It, it was like a horror movie. It was like a dirty protest in my living room. <laughs> oh, God. And then, and then eventually like, when I realised it, it, was too much work to feed it and I wasn't doing much baking, so I tried to get rid of it. And also, let me tell you two, disposing of a sour... I tried to put it down the toilet because that seemed like <laughs> the most sort of effective way to, to get rid of it. But it was like, I mean, you know, like the movie The Blob. Like mm. It was like some kind of fight scene from that where I was just trying to get this rubbery mass down my toilet. <laughs> Um, It was wild. So ordinarily, I would be (laughs) envious of two people saying like, oh, I made a sourdough starter today. But no, I've gone down that path. It's disgusting. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we'll have to see. Fingers crossed, this will continue <laughs> to be exclusively
0: a board game podcast, but uh, we may pivot to bakery. We'll see how it goes. Um, once we run out of board games, yeah, we'll talk about bread. I don't know. In the meantime, yeah, do feel free to keep an eye on our YouTube, keep an eye on the website, shutupersitdown.com, and uh, keep an eye on our Twitch channel because honestly, over the next few months, anything could happen, but it'll probably just be videos about single player games or stuff on Twitch. I am
1: honestly nervously anticipating the next podcast because I so want to hear you two talk about City of the Big Show. I know. That's
0: going to be great. After that, no idea. But uh, <laughs> we'll work it out. We'll work it out. All right. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Oh, and finally, actually, whilst we're here sitting here going, oh, grumble, 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 we can't play board games. Obviously, there are bigger problems in the world, etc. However, lots of people are now stuck at home with their families or with friends, and right now would like nothing more than some brilliant board games so if you've got people in your life who are in that situation do ping them towards some of our older videos do show them the classics because right now really um i feel like the world needs board games more than they ever have and it's just unfortunate that we're not in a position to keep talking about new ones right now but Share some stuff. Share the love. Get people into board games. This is the best chance. They're basically you're basically trapped in an elevator with the world. <laughs> so just like pitch them your film. Get them to play a board game. That's
2: it. That's that's my. That pitch. was the most. That was the most powerful pitch for board games I've ever heard. It's like right. You can't do anything else. So now you've got to. It just Come breaks on. my
0: heart having people go. But I'm bored. It's like listen. Let's talk about that. <laughs> like it's okay to be bored if it's just you. But if you've got other people around, let's play a game. That's the podcast. Thank you. For- yeah,
1: sorry. We've, we've completely lost our flow now. We're not yeah. recording in the same room, haven't yep. we? That's the podcast. Goodbye, Bye. everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. <laughs> <It's fine>. Bye. <laughs> Bye.